Welcome back to Night School, episode 28, The Poems of Emily Dickinson, part six. And back with me, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Chance. Welcome back, Mr. Chance. Hey, it's good to be back. Long time since we've had a night school here. Long time, I know, especially when we're doing it uh, almost every day. And it, I mean, uh, just having had a break, it is amazing to what extent one can get into a groove and not even know that one is still in a groove. And then have a moment out of the groove that's uncomfortable at first, you know, break, not podcasting as much, but then sort of get some perspective on, you know, what it is we accomplished and where it is that we got to with it. So it's good to get back in the saddle all the same. Yeah. Well, where we left off, I think was at the end of the section on fame. Uh, and now um, a couple of poems about poetry, it looks like. Um, so yeah, some perspective maybe here. I don't remember who read last. Uh, I, I you know, don't either. Do you want to read the the first one, or should I? I'll read it. And All right. Here it is. There is no frigate like a book. Twelve eighty six by Emily Dickinson. There is no frigate like a book to take us lands away, nor any coursers like a page of prancing poetry. This traverse may the poorest take without oppressive toll. How frugal is the chariot that bears the human soul. That's a good one. I like that a lot. I was thinking about this today, actually. I was um, reading a book for pleasure for the first time in a while. Like I took a break from reading over the break, uh, over the holiday here. And uh, it is such a, such an odd thing to kind of not realize that you haven't been doing something that you've gotten accustomed to, um, you know, something that you're so accustomed to doing that it becomes almost invisible to you, right? That's the way right. reading books is for me anyway, and so I was missing it without really realizing that I was until I sat down and started reading something again, a, a book that I got for Christmas, and uh, I, I would agree with this. I mean, uh, this is like a, a relatively earnest one, it sounds like to me, there, there isn't a lot of uh, that irony and that kind of acerbic humor that we've seen in a lot of uh, Dickinson's poetry. This, this one strikes me as very straightforward and very heartfelt. Um, but I, I don't know if there's a layer that I'm missing, but it, it seems like she gives a number of kind of um, like straightforward images about what it's like to to read, right? So a frigate, a big ship, right? A cargo ship or something like that, as, as far as I know. Uh, coursers, those are basically horses, right? Like race horses. Um, and she reinforces that again with the, the prancing uh, adjective there. Um, this traverse made the poorest take. So it's something that she kind of homes in on the way that it's, uh, it's democratic. Right, reading is something that anyone can do for free, and that's truer now than it's ever been. I think, right? Uh, you can walk into any library and sit down at a computer or browse the stacks and and basically find any book that's ever been written and read it for free for as long as you want. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and she kind of again doubles down on that that image that that theme of of poverty like the virtue of poverty when it comes to reading in the last couple in the last uh yeah cup couple lines there 
uh, how frugal is the chariot that bears the human soul. So, you know, it's not just uh, reading for pleasure, uh, reading for distraction. It, it does seem to be a kind of cultivation of the soul um, here that she's she's really angling after uh, with a really light touch. I, I, I like this one a lot. What did What did you think? Well, it is a real act of emptying and humbling to read. Emptying on the one hand in that one gives up one's pretension to knowledge and one actively learns from a narrative laid out in front of oneself. And humbling because one admits that one is not fully informed and one is lacking in one's knowledge when one reads, um, uh, whether it be nonfiction or a narrative. There, there is a sequence of events that must unfold in front of one that one could not perfectly predict or one would not read the book uh, in the first place. And so I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that the, the takeaway here at, at the broadest level of analysis is definitely the reading is great. And that it is that if a human, if what a space or territory is for a human is a psychological space, then there literally and literarily is no better vessel for a human consciousness than a sort of world or narrative that is specifically constructed to make sense for another human in order to convey some message. And I would say that there are two major images of the soul and the state in this book, uh, which have classical parallels. The frigate, which is a, you know, a storage ship, a ship that carries, uh, you know, materials, uh, just as, you know, sort of your mind or language carries information, like the Phaiakian ships, is the image of is the image of being transported along a ship. So the, the classical philosophical image of the philosopher or, or the thinking person directing or be, being pilot of a ship is here. Um, and so the idea of consciousness properly being directed towards acquisition of new information, it's also a Machiavellian idea. That's what he says the best thing a prince can do is. And that's actually, I just read today what uh, Dante explicitly has Beatrice say in Canto 13 of the, the Paradiso, that the reason that King Solomon was blessed with such great understanding was so that he could be a great king, not so that he could understand the nine spheres of heaven. So bang, there it is, clearly, clear as day, Dante saying that the reason for knowledge is practical. Um, but there's also the image here of the chariot and the soul which is a, a famous Platonic image from Phaedrus of the charioteer, the noose, so-called the intelligence, with the thumos or spirit or, or uh, sort of noble and uh, alabaster horse. And then also the, and I don't know that I know the term for this, the, the ignoble passions. Uh, I, get, I don't know if they're like the patheia or what, what they would be called but the, um, that which pulls you off course and that which is impulse rather than planned decision. Uh, that represented uh, in some ways by Ares in the Greek pa pantheon opposite Zeus, at least as they're portrayed in the, the Iliad. And so it's just interesting in a, a poem that talks about the human soul and carrying the human soul, how much information can then be amplified and extracted from it. In fact, I mean, if we wanted to over amplify this, I mean, we could just start going into the human soul itself, right? 
but I think that that is sort of the vortex or the the beautiful and willfully descended charybdis, which is um, you know getting your mind working when you're trying to extract information from another information gathering being that is then communicated with you in order to convey to you a message because they may convey to you far more than what they even mean to, which is part of what I think makes these conversations we're sharing so rich. I agree. And I, again, I'm interested in the question of the, uh, how voluntary this might be. Um, Cause it might make you wonder like, what's the purpose of a poem like this? On the one hand, to me, it expresses the wonder of the poet, the narrator uh, speaking here saying, my gosh, like how amazing it is to read. Like, Oh, sorry. I think I was muted. Did you catch that? Um, how you were saying how, uh, expressing the wonder of how wonderful it is to read. Okay, yeah, so that's like, that's the one side of it. The other then would be like a kind of persuasion, right? So not speaking uh, spontaneously in, in wonderment and bewilderment, uh, noticing how great it is, but in, in order to, uh, um, to persuade or to inspire someone else, right? To let them know that reading is this wonderful journey, uh, this great um, concourse or race even, right, of chariots um, towards something beautiful. And uh, I, I, I guess that's kind of part of what I think is going on in, in the Phaedrus, which you mentioned, um, is Socrates sort of prodding at and uh, pulling along uh, his interlocutor there with respect to reading, right? Like, what's the value of written of um, a written text versus a spontaneous utterance, uh, for instance. And, well, I don't know. Um, it, it also comes back to this question of poverty, um, an old idea that uh, is not as uh, popular anymore, <laughs> I guess, but that um, poverty is a way to kind of clear away some things that would otherwise distract you from, uh, from learning and from maybe even from ruling, you know. Um, but that's, I guess, another topic. Well, that certainly seems true. I mean, the you know, the more you have, the more things you have to think about, the more that fills your day. And I can see how, thus, with such a an extreme of uh, things to manage, how that which is essential and most important could start to take a back seat. Um, and so, if you were poor in some pecuniary fashion, you might have time more time in a Bob Cratchit sort of way from. Uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol to uh, focus on that which matters. Um, but I guess the ideal is probably something in between. Um, well, so, so much for this poem. And then on to the next then. Yeah, so the suggested coupling here is between this poem and then the poet's light but lamps. Um, so let's find that. All right. So the poet's light but lamps, poem 930. The poet's light but lamps themselves go out. The wicks they stimulate. If vital light in here as do the suns, each age a lens 
disseminating their circumference. I can't tell you how much I love this poem, not only because in the second stanza, of course, you get the same imagery that you get in Canto 14 of Dante's Paradiso, where he is actually describing the sun. And in the very first line, talks about the circle that measures the circumference and the circumference that measures the circle. As he describes the dance of two circles of spirits, which um, together represent the will and the intellect and how they circumscribe each other. Uh, one is always creating and one is always being created. So that's very interesting. Uh, not only that, but of course the imagery of the sun, I recently read in Milton as well in my studies for the upcoming lectures. Uh, he calls the lamp the light of the world in book, or in book seven of Paradise Lost when he's describing the creation of the world. And of course, uh, something interesting that uh, one can note on there is that, of course, the sun is made on the third day where light comes in on the first, suggesting from the get-go a metaphorical interpretation of light or something that records the data, um, like consciousness. Um, but so I think we see that here. The poets, and I've been talking about poets here, light but lamps. And again, just a couple of structural features that um, we're in the last one, but we didn't really mention are, are these dashes and also the sort of Germanic capitalization of nouns that we see here. Uh, that is a German convention. And um, I know capitalization rules were weaker at this time, but it is interesting to see these, these, um, uh, these nouns. And even if, if you think disseminating is not one it, it no it, it it could have been a gerund but it isn't it is a it is actually a verb so we do have um but that could also be capitalized because it's the beginning of the line as well so uh tough to say there uh i that would be my theory in any case uh we also have many hyphens going on here we or or rather dashes they're longer than hyphens and they uh there are five of them but so just to the potent poem itself the poet's light but lamps so they they give you clue they they make it so that you can see the truth they don't show you the truth or create the truth they just make it so that by their light you can see what you see which is the truth so they're not making any claims they're just giving you tools themselves go out so poets will die but their messages live on the wicks they stimulate if vital light, so the wicks they stimulate, I think are us, our minds, that then take fire from theirs and then light the way for other people as Statius describes Virgil in the Purgatorio as a man who, who's, who lit a flame which he held behind his back, which lit the way for others but not himself uh, because he was pagan, not Christian. In here, as do the sons, I like that in here. That in here, um, that's a very Miltonic and again, Dantistic convention they they both create verbs in which they use in like to like in paradise or to impure or the empyrean itself or to uh and i can't recall a direct example of milton but if if you if we wanted to i could get 10 for next time um <clears throat> but each age a lens disseminating their circumference i i like that 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 seems to be that each age of poet shows 
their greatness in relation to the poets before by means of how broadly or how deeply they, um, or how much light they cast so that as much truth as possible can be seen. Yeah, right. I, I'm reading it as like each age is responsible for returning to these these texts or these ideas yes. that the poets have have left um they're gonna be there you know um burning and doing what they do but it's up to each age to kind of recur to them uh and give them the uh the attention the the respect that they deserve um i think again that our age has got this lens this technology which um is disseminating the uh, the poets like as we're looking at the Poetry Foundation website here. I mean, it's disseminating it as broadly as you can really imagine. Um, practically, everyone could have access to this, and um, I think that there is something kind of interesting going on there. Where on the one hand, you can have um, all the light that you might want, uh, but you can still um, you can still go astray. You can still use it uh for for purposes which are which are not the intended one um you know you always have to make kind of judgments about what the best thing to do is with with the time with the with the light so to speak that that's a, that's available to you milton's got a great sonnet about uh how considering how his light is spent i think right. is the, the title of it and so yeah that that's that's definitely a um a major epic and lyric uh poetic image the the claim that Dickinson or the speaker makes here about poets themselves going out uh, is probably again like a, a bit of a reflection on on herself or maybe on the death of somebody close to her, um, you know, having to kind of come to grips with mortality, and um, yet on the other hand, having this kind of claim to immortality, right? That, that some part of her, some part of her. Uh, thought, her poetry, what she's made, um, will continue to light the way uh, for somebody else. And uh, and that, that verb disseminating is really interesting too, because it's like a, it's an agricultural image that's kind of buried in that word. Um, the uh, the seeds, right, are, are, are going to grow into something um, bigger and bigger. It's like, again, that, 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 ex that circle of light continues to expand one way or the other. And it's also a major mythological image and the idea of dissemination like seminal fluid is that which contains the seed that which impregnates with the new idea. So that taken, I mean, my God, you've just given me the most beautiful idea of that which is most precious to a human and is most meaningful and is most characteristic of, of that which is a human form. That would be the great truths or the, the great information the information we have worked hardest to attain and that we can convey that in language and light someone else's wick by means of that is literally the closest thing to immortality we could have, right? Because then it is the most special truth that you attain to and express in the most meaningful way that is then given as like the, not like, that is then given as your ultimate gift that gives even beyond your own life to another human that they can then uh, you know, imbibe and embody and be made pregnant by, uh, to use again another Socratic 
image. And also, of course, a Greek mythological image. Uh, Zeus is the great uh, archetype of the man whose head becomes pregnant with wisdom and then must create because of it, <laughs> which is why Hephaestus has to hit him in the head with a hammer. Hephaestus, the god who creates, which is why Hephaestus and Athena were the dual gods, will and intellect of, um, of Athens. They, they used their wisdom practically. But I, be, you know, of course, also the famous image of dissemination is Kronos ha having his seminal parts uh, cut or, or having Uranus having his seminal uh, parts cut by Kronos. He, he was allowed to be bound in that way, establishing a circumference. Because that, that is the great Augustine uh, moving forward on this idea, right? If Kronos or civilization moves forward by binding the wildness of a former state and becoming more sophisticated than, uh, than what Augustine recognized about this sort of how binding gives power and the sort of Roman ideas. God is uh, a circle whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere as sort of uh, uh, that which always creates but is never bound by that which has been created. And that seems to be the light that is passed between each human. What we personally have, the poets who go out, is uh, the created, or we, I, we seem to have both, right? But what we receive is that which has been created before, but the idea is that it creates within us that spark which we can then uh, use to create some, some uh, uh, I, what is a, a sparking stone? <laughs> some dynamite that uh, then later um, could convey such rich information that it, it, it provided the spark that got somebody else's wick going. Um, I know I said a lot of things. I had like three main points there about Kronos, and then I got into Augustine. But um, right, this is just a very rich poem. It is. No, it's, uh, I think you were talking a bit before that too about the structure of it. I think this is an interesting one because it is broken into stanzas, um, the normal kind of four-line uh, quatrain structure that she uses but um but again like in some cases we've been seeing the the rhymes are very very loose here we have out rhymed with light we have lens and circumference uh which is which is a bit of a stretch but but more than that the um kind of syntactic or uh the the meaning uh, slides from the first to the second stanza um, without a grammatical break there, right? The wicks, they stimulate if vital light in here as do the suns. So you kind of have to parse that a little bit, um, but it seems to be saying, right, that there is the possibility that this is uh, a living kind of light, right? Like the, the, the kind you're describing being the best information um, and, and sort of condensing that into a focused beam, right? That can that can stimulate somebody, or or kind of in here is the next verb. In here, as do the suns, right? Burn with that kind of intensity, um, and so that that leap from the first stanza to the second is pretty virtuosic. I, I think it's uh, in the notes to this on the website here. You see that it says um, there's there's something about P O L students. So I looked that up. It's a program 
called Poetry Out Loud. So apparently at some point this was a poem, or maybe it is currently a poem, that would have been used in their uh, competition. So this like student poetry recitation competition. I, I could imagine this one being a difficult and rewarding one for a, a student to practice reciting um, to, such as, as to get that meaning across more clearly because it is a bit obscure at first. Each age a lens disseminating their circumference and also that image of a glass darkly as Paul uses, I see as now through a glass darkly, how much light, how much information can we show through ourselves as a, a civilization? It's almost as if you've made our project clear here, Wes, and uh, that with this ultimate technology, this technology that we have in this, this time of summer, you might say, in Game of Thrones language, uh, we're children of the summer, you might say. Um, we've never known winter is to disseminate as much of this information as we can to direct our eyes like the eye of Sauron, but in a positive way, towards that which we see with great value. And hopefully, hopefully what the problem becomes is people get mad at us for the things we see with value and claim that because we're discerning and claiming that some things have value that we're saying that other things don't. But we do have pretty broad interests. So, you know, I guess people will just have to say whatever they say. If, if we get to the point where people want to say what they have to say about us, because they hear what we have to say, or even better, don't hear what we have to say, but have something to say about us. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll have to have them on the show at some point here if, if, there's, um, if there's people who'd be interested in digging into this more with us. Um, I, I, I'm curious... Um, now about this poetry out loud thing I'm curious about what kinds of religious imagery like we've seen a lot of it and I, uh, I don't know if that's something that's um, encouraged in this uh, student recitation competition right like the great kind of rhetorical and oratorical techniques which were developed uh, in many cases for the purposes of um, like sermons and you know singing hymns and churches and things i wonder if if that is uh sort of carried over into this competition or if it's like frowned upon or or what um i i don't know i i don't see a whole lot of other room for controversy at this stage uh in a, any specific way but i guess in a general sense yeah maybe by by saying some things are great and other things are not as worthy of the time to study well i guess that's an implicit critique of of something or other but well i think and also yeah of time and the fact that we die too i think um but you know i think we're doing our best as well and if uh, you know people want to suggest other things that we spend our time interpreting maybe we will so we're not we are not a closed book right on all right well so we've got uh just one more section of emily dickinson the section here about death it looks like there's a couple poems that are suggested so maybe next time we can look at that uh this by the way isn't this the 200th episode for you my goodness i can't believe and <laughs> and all the hubbub of um talking about <laughs> uh, of managing you know the new software and just um beginning all of this and i'm sorry i'm stopping the share and okay i stopped the share so now i can think again um it's funny kierkegaard uh, purity of the heart is willing one thing at a time and that's for sure true um, but yes yes and all the hubbub I forgot to mention that this is my 200th episode 
And so it's really cool because we had our hundredth episode like three months ago. And so output is really, really soared. And so, you know, talking about getting into groups, we've really been doing quite a bit of this. Speaking of disseminating information as broadly as possible. Uh, you know, and you've been a big part of that, Wes. So, you know, thanks for being, thanks for sharing the chariot and, uh, and the frigate with me. It's been, uh, it's been a good ride on a Fiakian ship. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, it's, I think we have really accelerated. I think the quality of our material has remained high. And, you know, maybe in some ways we've become more focused. Uh, in other ways, you know, we've expanded and kind of broadened this, the sorts of things we've been talking about and some of the people that we've been talking to as well. So I think we're uh, on great, great track here. I think we'll, we've got a good year ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. And um, I'm, I'm visualizing and envisioning an ever-improving future and uh, where we get to do even more work and to talk to even more people and to, uh, you know, basically just do as many of these projects as we possibly can. I just can't really think of a better use of my time anyway. And hopefully I get to spend some of it with you. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Well, until tomorrow then. Yep. Take it easy. <laughs>